0: Welcome to Musings Over Coffee with your hosts, Aria Mala and Alexander Jenkins. So this week we have um, our good friend, special guest Tim, on the podcast again. Um, John, Yeah, you might remember him from our last podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I added Tim um, on as our resident expert in communism. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And do you want to say why we're doing this podcast?
0: Well, yeah, we've been um, noticing more and more that some of our friends have been kind of spouting this right-wing rhetoric around communism taking over and, like, talking about any kind of government intervention with, I don't know, individual freedoms must mean communism. Um, So we're really, like, curious about how that came about. And, yeah, we have a bunch of questions to talk around um for this podcast
1: yeah and we kind of want to get some like clear definitions going because i think something i notice on social media is like people talking about capitalism not as a economic system but as something that's like synonymous with Mm. freedom and communism as like the opposite so maybe we can start with some kind of yeah definitions
2: capitalism as an always-present normal state and Mm. communism as like a scary spectre of governmental control.
3: Mm.
1: That's going to take away your personal things or something. So maybe we can start by just being upfront with how we identify ourselves politically. Uh Can we start with you, Tim? Yeah,
2: sure. So I identify as a communist. Um, which is to say (laughs) I believe that the productive forces of society shouldn't be owned by a handful of people um, and that uh, we can operate production to meet human need instead of for profit Um, and I'll go and Further into what productive forces are when I define communism, but that's I me. Mean,
1: yeah, awesome! Cool. Thank you. Do you want to share, Alexander?
0: Um, I don't have a clear label like that. I, I mean, I I'd identify as left progressive, but um, yeah, my um, vision for a better society and economic system is quite different. And yeah, maybe we won't get into that today, but um, maybe it will come in at some point.
1: Um. I like in terms of like the, the vision I want to see and what I'm like, yeah, imagine um, could happen. I like the term, the um, fully automated luxury communism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, maybe. So let's just like jump in with, maybe starting with just capitalism. Like what are the defining features of capitalism?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to what, I guess many people think of capitalism, it's only been around for about 300 years. Mm. Um, it's not synonymous with trade or with money. Both mm. of those things have existed since our first civilizations. Mm. Um, and so we have to be a whole lot more specific around what we mean when we say capitalism and not just kind of say, it is when you're allowed to trade freely. Yeah. Mm. Um, so before capitalism there is a feudal society where kings and queens sort of own everything by their title. Yeah. And then there are lords who have kind of like, have swaths of land, and they have peasants that work the land, uh, and give them a, a portion of what's created there. hmm Um, <clears throat> and this is a kind of a class politics, over the force of production here, which is, like, whether they're mines, whether they're farms, and so on. They're all owned, ultimately, by the king, and then by lords underneath, who are trying- who would want as many of the resources that the peasants create, and the peasants would want to keep as many resources as they create. Now when sort of early industrialization takes over and technology gets way more advanced um, there's an emerging merchant class who are the traders sort of of civilization and they're the ones that invest in this technology Mm. and they begin to say well the lords and the kings shouldn't just own things by nature of their bloodline it should be um the people that have Uh, sort of private um, privately invested technologies that should own the things and so um, the the peasants can no longer produce on their own because they can't compete with the new forms of technology Um, and so they all move into the cities and they become employees of those who own the means of production we Mm. say Mm. so capitalism is a mode of class politics, wherein uh, everything that produces something in society, all natural resources, all land, um, all technology, can be owned privately. Which means a few private individuals, as they get richer, can collect more and more of it, like playing a game of Monopoly. Mm. Incidentally, that's what the game of Monopoly is made to teach us, (laughs) is how you can accrue a Monopoly of all resources just by nature of um, renting, trading, and and taking eventually Mm. from the weaker Mm. capitalists. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, a, a broad definition of capitalism. It's when the means that a society has to produce are can be owned by just
0: a few select people. Mm. Yeah, And the way that you've framed it there, it doesn't sound like it's inherently bad. So I feel like there are some perhaps extra nuances of the way that capitalism works that need to be included, like profit motives or... Um, yeah like beyond the class Mm. um thing which is which is uh a description that's new to me like i haven't heard someone at least describe it in that um clarity which is cool
1: i just wanted to say something quickly which was that i had like a a different thought on hearing that of that it is inherently bad and weird that people could think that they can privately own parts of the earth and like land and like natural resources like that's actually absolutely absurd mm. but we just take it for granted
0: sure i guess it's not absurd to the mindset of the time right like it's like if there was, if you were live living in the times where kings and lords owned stuff then the idea of merchants also owning stuff or you're ab- yourself able to own stuff it sounds much better than mm. just the lords and the kings being able to own stuff
3: mm.
2: i agree with both of you entirely <laughs> in that like I think the accusation that gets thrown at the left is that we want everything to be moralized. Mm. We want to talk exclusively in oppressors and oppresses and so on.
3: Uh-huh. But,
2: um, I, I mean, it's kind of, it is true, <laughs> uh, and that's where I agree with Ari, is that um, the, the mode of production we're talking about here, where a class can own things and another class is therefore just destined to work mm. on those things. That is a hierarchy of power. Mm. And it's why, um, yeah, thinking of something beyond capitalism is politics of liberation.
0: Mm. Um, and which some, like Jordan Peterson, would say is impossible because hierarchies yeah. are <laughs> natural mm-hmm. because we're all lobsters. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
2: so, so when we talk about profit, um, and you were saying, yeah, there are all these other nuances. So y- we can have a raw, non-moralized description of capitalism, but then there are certain things that emerge from this material system mm. yeah. that are mechanisms of it, right? Mm. They're built in. Um, so like profit and the idea of accruing more than more of something is, you know, perhaps older. Than, than capital um, but if you have a society where there's a class that owns things for themselves not for anyone else then their incentive with all of those things is only to profit mm. and so sometimes this aligns with well-being which is what prager you will tell us about money <laughs> it's like well if you want to sell a consumer good that consumer good has to meet a human need. Mm. And that's one way of creating profit. But there are other ways of creating profit. And one is creating scarcity, um, uh, or it is um, taking something that would naturally be built to meet human needs, say houses, Mm. and taking them off the market and then raising their prices exponentially because you're holding them to ransom essentially
0: and then there's also like creating false needs which is what a lot of so-called needs and, and even what people call innovations today are just meeting almost like false needs like the new iphone that comes out every year yeah. people think that they want it or need it but they don't
1: <laughs> yeah well it's kind of like moving into the next exploration is like what values emerge from mm-hmm. the mechanisms that are innate to capitalism
2: mm-hmm. mm. funnily enough more enlightenment philosophy than people realize coincides the development of capitalism what i mean by this is the thought that was emerging at the time to to justify how you could be in poverty or you could be um in in wealth was that every person Or that society is comprised only of completely voluntary interactions. Mm. um, And that a producer producing things is on an equal level to a consumer deciding what they want, right? Like consumers are the ones who control the hand Mm. of producers, um, or capitalists, I should say.
0: That's a supply and demand.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and s- supply and demand is true for exchange value, and I might be getting too technical here, but it's important to differentiate use value and exchange value. It's all Marxist theory, but um, do you want to do you
1: want to do that yeah like like now? a like yeah. a
2: brief um, breakdown there? So a use value is the th- the value that something actually has to your life um like a house has use value for sheltering you keeping Mm. you warm at night and and so on
0: like i might want a video camera not to own a video camera but for the use of that video camera to film stuff
2: yes yeah yeah yeah. Mm. because that camera does a certain thing Mm. um and the only way to create a use value is by labor right by making it or having something make it Um, But exchange value is immaterial. It's how much something is believed Mm. to be
0: worth. So if there was a library full of video cameras, then they wouldn't have an exchange value because I could get one for free. Whereas if they were very rare, then they'd probably be way more expensive.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so the example that I'll return to here is houses, right? Mm. Like if there's, there's a certain amount of houses in the market at any one time and landlords often claim that they're creating value in some way um, because the prices of the houses go up so that must mean they are creating value Um, but the price there doesn't reflect any change in use value Mm. that's remained the same what's changed is the exchange value in that when you hold something to ransom and people need it, they'll pay more for it.
3: Yeah.
0: It just seems so wrong (laughs) in some way. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the number of homeless people and, you know, the number of people that can't afford housing and the price of rent at the moment. And yeah, it just seems like it's all so disparate And, and the, the kind of, um, movement of the market is still going up right like everyone who's got a house like our rent just mm. went up mm. and i've been talking to someone who owns a house and they're like oh yeah well i'm gonna have to charge more rent because my i need to get at least four percent of my mortgage value on rent in order to pay it off and yeah, know well, mm. just trying to keep the balance the numbers balanced in all these different areas so it just seems like very like a very bad system for most people, you know, other than the owners.
1: Yeah. Do we want to speak to like a few more of the values that emerge out of capitalism mm-hmm. before we mm-hmm. move on to like defining communism or
2: other systems? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so I don't know how I ended up talking about houses. But yeah, the value <laughs> we, we struck on first was that there's a hyper individuality. Mm. Um, not that individ- individuality is bad but more it's the idea that you're on your own and your outcomes are only in your hands mm. and you're not participating in anything that could affect you and you're not affecting anyone else. and
0: Isolated yeah. transactions.
1: Yeah, like a competitive market. Mm. Like that it's, yeah.
0: And then we get all the... Um, what Peter Joseph calls negative externalities, which are defined as, um, all the, uh, negative impacts on the world that companies have, like oils going into rivers, or um, yeah, like forests being chopped down, or whatever, like all the things <laughs> contributing to the cl- current climate crisis and, um, extinction and all that kind of stuff.
1: That within this model, within they don't have to model, pay for.
0: Yeah, and and it's almost encouraged because people want to make the most profit and in order to compete in the market and make the most profit you want to bring your price like you want to bring the prices of products down you want to pay so in order to do that you pay your laborers less you want to like cut corners in terms of being sustainable or, or um yeah trying to neg- negate your negative externalities um and yeah or, or all sorts of like horrible potentially horrible, um, morally corrupt behavior can come out of just trying to um, compete in the market.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't compete on that level, someone else will, Mm. which is why, you know, it's important not to just have a discourse of, you know, the billionaires are evil um, because the billionaires are, there because of an incentive system Mm. and if they don't exploit as hard as they can um there's a bigger dog that will eat them up
0: yeah (laughs) and the the monopolies come in and they can afford to be cheaper because they own well they have more money to throw around um more people to bribe more money to throw at courts to get away with more negative externalities and then local businesses will just struggle yeah. To meet the and they and they might even have to be, um, more morally bankrupt to to even just survive. And totally.
2: Operate. So, like when it comes to Amazon, Amazon didn't just have the miraculous, amazing idea bookstore, but online that made it the wealthiest <laughs> company and the wealthiest man. Um, part of how they operated was that they got so much capital from investors that they lowered all of their prices and their operations to below what anyone else could compete with um far below a profit threshold mind you they were operating without profit for like 10 years Mm. um and this was so that as scott galloway puts it in his book he's a marketer um he talks about Amazon sort of having a breath holding competition underwater with other companies mm. except uh. amazon gets to wear an oxygen tank and because all...
0: of the privilege of beth jeff bezos's history or his upbringing the, or yeah the,
2: the capitalization the as in all mm. the money that investors were were pouring into mm. amazon mm. um seeing how effective you know this model was and at a point you just need to be highly capitalized enough and you can practice this kind of business.
0: What do you say to people who are like, well, if we didn't have free markets, we wouldn't have innovation or we wouldn't, or that the people who are um, making the most money deserve that money because of what they're offering in terms of products and services?
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, first of all, Culture doesn't start with capitalism, right? Mm. Humans are always creative. Um, and to the people that make this kind of accusation, I would also want to ask, do you have any hobbies?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> like, Or have you been to, like, a burn festival yeah. where there's, like, such spectacular creativity and innovation yeah. and generosity
3: mm. and
1: yeah. no money being exchanged?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, people like, want to make things and do things. Um, And also, technologically speaking, we're far beyond what, you know, the early USSR was, where they had to, like, they became a work nation because they were trying to industrialise in 30 years when America had 200 years to do Mm. the same. Um, We're at a state now where we have the technology to meet all of our basic needs Mm. but we can't stop working because capitalists don't want to pay anyone who isn't creating some value for them right Mm. so we're stuck in a system where everyone has to be in work making value Mm. for capitalists in order to be paid enough to meet their basic needs yeah
0: which is why ubi is such a um, horrible notion to so many capitalists, right? Because like, well, we can't give people money for doing nothing whatsoever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, funnily enough, people like Bezos and Bill Gates are really strong proponents of UBI. Right. And that's because they know a future where as they automate away more and more of their work, they're going to be very good at producing things. But if people have no money, there's no one to consume the things. Yeah. So a later stage of capitalism might involve some kind of UBI, but just enough that we can be kind of consumer serfs for an automated uh, capitalist world.
0: Um, It sounds better than today, but also frighteningly (laughs) hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
2: Well, I mean, they advocate UBI and then they block all um, policies that might lead there.
0: Like taxing them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I think what uh, the other reason why capitalists like advocate UBI is because they know if things get bad enough, like people will revolt. Yeah. Um, and like some leftists us like, a little bit against UBI because they're like, oh, it's just a reform like within the system that yeah. could be just considered like welfare. Um, but there's kind of like an interesting paradox of like, I think there's two reasons people revolt like one is like they have nothing left to lose and one is they feel more secure like so if people had ubi they would be less likely to stay in shitty jobs with like shitty working conditions Mm. because they're not going to fucking die if they leave that job Mm. and they might be like i don't know i feel like we once we have a taste of better conditions like we have the experience of being able to raise our standards Mm. a little bit more like Americans have no standards because they don't have like <laughs> that's a very like large generalization. But I mean, around healthcare and like people in America still being like land of the free, like yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, and I think you know in countries that have some kind of nationalized healthcare scheme, we're like, well, why don't we fucking have like um, include um, dental work within that and like mental health within that? Mm. Like, once you get a certain level, you just like well we could do better and yeah. we deserve better so maybe we can jump into like defining the characteristics of communism because we haven't done that yet
2: mm. cool is this me yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh this is so yeah. uh, so um i was talking earlier about how feudalism um and capitalism now and slaveocracy before all this they're all modes of class politics. And so the communists say, okay, we go through history moving from one society of class politics to the next. Um, Our future can't always be this. And capitalism is not the last stage of economics. Um, Mm. So communism is the idea that If you disallow the ownership of society's productive potential, if you disallow that ownership from being in the hands of a class um, of people, whether they were kings, uh, the slave owners, or the capitalists, then you can have a classless society where we all have the same relationship to those means of production say we all own it collectively and that's that's effectively the idea of communism
0: that sounds pretty simple and i'm really confused as why people conflate government intervention with communism
2: yeah so the first step to like thinking about that when someone says "da, da, da is communism first we ask okay do the workers own their workplaces mm. no do you have uh, any democratic say over your workplace? Like, Can you just put a vote in to decide what your company produces, whether it's going to outsource jobs to China, whether it's going to pollute the local river? Do you have a vote a say in any of that? No, that decision belongs to the board, who are put there um, in, in most private institutions by how many shares uh, people have and the more shares you have the more votes you get to put your board member on the board yeah. and that board member then makes decisions of the company's governance with your interests the shareholder in heart um, it's got nothing to do with the workers or with mm. general populace mm. at all so when we say the government doing such and such is communism i mean no because the characteristic the the characteristic of communism isn't just that a government does things mm. right just like trade predates commu- uh, just like trade predates capitalism uh governments predate communism communism isn't when a strong government and i think that's the conflation people have in mind
3: mm.
0: and does i, I mean i that something like totalitarianism which is normally associated with a style of governing as opposed to an economic system or a class system well i guess there's class stuff involved um that often gets conflated with communism as well mm. so, which is confusing because you could have a totalitarian capitalist system just as easily right like if if the if the people who are capitalists were controlling everything quite openly and explicitly as opposed to behind the scenes then we'd call it totalitarianism yeah yeah so, so it's quite strange to me again why why how that conflation comes up in people's minds.
2: Totally. Um, well, we've had half a century of propaganda funded by people like the Koch brothers. Um, oh. This isn't conspiratorial. There are actual <laughs> there are actual think tanks, libertarian think tanks, whose job is to receive lots of money and then think about messaging, PR products that people kind of change their ways of thinking about government Mm. and um their job for the last half century was to influence public discourse on what we should do about government and so the libertarian angle is that government should be as small as possible uh, because that will maximize freedom
3: yeah
2: and the thing is In a system that needs private property, um, it needs to protect the interests of those handful of people that own the things, Uh, a strong police and military are necessary.
1: So necessary within capitalism. Yes.
2: So what comes to define fascism um, is when uh, the government loses all of its mandate for social projects and becomes only scaffolding for a military and police state that protects the interests of private property owners. And people forget this about Nazi Germany. The word privatization was literally coined to describe Hitler's economic policies. Hmm. It was a strongly pro-industry, pro-capitalist, system just because it is then characterized by the government putting down all forms of dissent doesn't make it a collectivist quote unquote model at all and that's sort of what i was getting at with the libertarian think tanks is they've kind of managed to frame all public discourse in terms of collectivism versus individual freedom Mm -hmm. and that's not the dichotomy we have we have small groups of people owning the means or we have all of our (laughs) benefits kind of considered in the means of production
1: Mm. i'm curious yeah because you spoke about freedom there and that conflation with um communism and a lack of freedom can you speak to that a little bit more of how it could be a bit of a myth (laughs)
2: there's been some bad experiments in communism for sure you know i'm no stalin apologist um and while china lifted out more people out of poverty than any nation in history it's also true that they've you know they've got some very strong central um deeply problematic policies as well Mm. um and so there is a task at hand when thinking about our future societies um of how do we best have everyone participate um because in marx's concept of communism uh and i didn't mention this earlier the point is that it's classless and governmentless the point of communism is not to have a strong government. It's actually to eventually destroy government. Mm. Classless, governmentless, moneyless. Um, and, and Marx is quoted as saying, everyone is part of the government at the stage of communism. Um, everyone has control and autonomy. Um, mm. And, yeah, it's it's not i don't think totally clear Mm.
0: how we do
3: that yet yeah Mm.
0: because it sounds like um it sounds like it sounds like democracy um and the same question could be said of how do we implement a true democracy Uh, and and the question lies there like how do you have everybody participating and it might be a technological issue as much as a value Mm. system issue and yeah, well, obviously we don't have the answers to, to there, but if you have any... Thoughts.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, just a, a thought to the sort of response people have, which is that sounds too utopian mm. and, um, you know, fool. It's failed every time it's been tried. Um, well, for one, lots of communist experiments have failed because the US has drawn a, um, a, a border... Around them and uh, eliminated their ability to trade, mm. um, and uh, waged constant wars on them, and all 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 these things. Um, but the next is that every other stage of governance that we've had has had failed experiments as well. So by the time of the Middle Ages, democracy had failed a couple times. Um, it, in Rome, it had turned into the dictatorship of Julius Caesar. Mm. Um, So can you imagine the lords uh, of their medieval villages saying, fools, you want democracy? It's failed every time it's been tried. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where feudalism is the last step in history. Mm. It's like,
1: no, we're we're gonna shift. (laughs) That's a nice hopeful message. So just to add um, another definition, would you be willing to tell us the difference between socialism and communism?
2: Mm. So in Marx and Engels there actually isn't a difference. Mm. Um Marx uses socialism and communism interchangeably, uh but they kind of stick on using communism more because they had greater associations um at the time politically. Uh Nowadays I guess we sort of think of socialism as a step, Um, and it could be defined by first socialising the the workplaces, by which we mean uh, instead of just being an employee, you also have a stake of ownership. and everyone does in all of their respective companies perhaps Mm -hmm. and then democracy exists not only in government but also over what your society produces Um, and that might be sort of yeah a step and communism is um communists will get mad at me for saying this but perhaps more abstract you know perhaps it's not But it is more controversial in what it might actually look like in policy and technology and so on but it is the uh the classless moneyless governmentless system
3: Hmm.
1: cool so how do you both think that covid has been impacting people's political fears or
0: well like I said at the beginning I think that people are (laughs) spouting this propaganda rhetoric around when the government is um, mandating certain behaviour like whether it's COVID uh, lockdowns for Covid or masks or vaccines that that equals communist (laughs) (laughs) um, behaviour I can imagine after hearing your some of your descriptions as well that what they are fearing is the loss of individual freedom which is the kind of propaganda capitalist version of what communism is like as an enemy to capitalism and as an enemy to individual freedom but it also feels like most of the people i see saying this stuff then they wouldn't identify as neoliberal they wouldn't be like oh yeah well freedom to me is freedom to trade in the marketplace and to, mm-hmm. uh, and to, to be a good capitalist they just they just see freedom being i don't want to have to do what the government tells me to do in terms of wearing a mask or being in lockdown mm. and i think that that attitude is rebellious and i can kind of see this um yeah the alongside the real um problems with government uh, being lobbied by corporations and, and corporations, like I said, they have shares in companies and that having a share in a company means that they're on the board and they can make decisions. And then it's like, well, if this particular company has shares in this other company and they're on the board and they're making decisions and we don't like that big a company, then we have to be wary of the smaller company because that big company is probably apparently making decisions that we're not okay with that are evil and they're against us and that they're going to cause us all harm and yeah i feel like that even though that's not necessarily a conscious kind of train of thought for a lot of people i think that's essentially the where the fear comes from like the fear of i don't know we know that this corporation or i've heard that this corporation or this person with a lot of money has done bad stuff if they're involved any way down the line towards a vaccine for example then i don't want to be involved with the vaccine in any way
2: either yeah yeah i mean like i think there's truth in that and that uh, people rightly so don't feel like the government has been on their side at all um uh, and especially with its history of medical interventions or not, you know, um, left the AIDS uh, epidemic to run rampant, Mm. Um, uh, Mm. set up fake vaccine drives in Pakistan to get uh, blood samples to see if Osama bin Laden was, that's a real thing you can go Google right now that the um, CIA (laughs) did. it's just yeah governments don't often operate in your interests and that's because in a capitalist society follow the money it's you know um but yeah i think to me the thing that covid has pointed to is a real crisis of that core held belief that um, you can just operate on your little island and you mm. have no effects on anyone else. Yeah. And it's kind of, in one way, practice uh, yeah. for um, the coming climate change crisis mm. um, <laughs> in that um, we have now large enough problems that you making your individual decisions about what you consume as is the power capitalism only affords you to vote with your dollar between Mm. choices it doesn't give you the freedom to decide what's on the table Mm. um and yeah we're coming into a reckoning of facing large enough issues that you can't just dollar vote them away anymore.
0: Yeah. Mm. You're still going to recycle. Oh, <laughs> totally. And <laughs> yeah. still going to be vegan and still going to, you know, be careful of what what I'm spending my money on. And yeah. I'll, and there's systemic change that needs to happen, right? And it's mm-hmm. funny enough, I think that one of the solutions is more government control over corporations so, which would mean which would be you know that's a neoliberal night- nightmare it's more government control, but if governments don't stop corporations doing what the fuck they want anywhere they want any anyhow they want, then they would in a mm. in a governmentless mm. society that was still capitalist
2: yeah well we can look to when the u s was at its most um flourishing version Mm. of capitalism right we're talking like after the 40s through 50s and 60s um this was a time of they call general prosperity it was kind of working out well um or the best it has you know if you were a part of a certain group of people Mm. and why was this well after the great depression or to solve the great depression rather um fdr president um was being kind of held at gunpoint by the labor movement um which said we're we've been screwed by this depression you either do some serious fixing or we're going to bring out the pitchforks and fdr had a meeting uh or a series of meetings with the capitalists at the time he said okay this is fucking serious um we have to implement some serious reforms or revolution's gonna happen. Remember the USSR only became communist a couple decades before. Mm. So that it was a very real reality to them. Mm. And so with a strong labor movement, a strong union movement, um, social security was created. um, uh, The social infrastructure for um, government supporting um, people to live was kind of Stronger than than it ever had been. Uh, m- tax rates for the rich were the highest they ever were. They were above ninety percent. Mm-hmm. So that means you make a certain amount of money, and every dollar after that sum that you make, ninety percent of it goes into social infrastructure. So it's not ninety percent of everything you make. It's ninety percent above
3: uh-huh. a yeah.
2: giant sum that you're already making. Mm. Um. Decade on decade year on year after that capitalists lobbied government to take those taxes down and to put those taxes on the working class instead Which has worked out very well for them because now you have a working class that really really hates taxes Mm. because it makes their lives worse Um, and the USSR fell and the capitalists in the West stopped worrying and they started making conditions Exponentially worse mm. wages stagnated, um, while the cost of living, living continued to rise. Mm. Um, profit rates decreased because they were already outsourcing to the cheapest labor that could possibly be labored, and uh, but the wages had stagnated from with the people whose jobs they moved over. Um, to and third world countries, so people couldn't
0: afford to buy the things that they were making.
2: Yes, yeah, um, yeah. This is an internal contradiction to capitalism. It begins to slow, and it creates its own crises. Mm. So credit uh, is created at this time in the in the seventies and eighties, um, so that people can continue to buy even though they don't have money. And finances, and the finance market, takes off as immaterial, remember, exchange values, not use values, physical things, become where the economy is spent. And every ten years, this bubble bursts and the imaginary money disappears. We Mm. are a capitalism in crisis. Mm. I forgot where this started from <laughs> what I was talking about. But... I like the yeah, start it ending,
1: the conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. So we touched on this a little bit at the start when we shared our political beliefs, but what socioeconomic system do you want to see? I think you didn't really share yours, Alexander.
0: My the socioeconomic system I would mm. like I would like to see. Yeah. Well I feel like after hearing your definition of communism and your Um, fully automated luxury communism i feel like mine which is called a resource-based economy is basically that um it's where automation takes over all menial labor i guess there would be some kind of like local democratic meritocracy where individuals in in specialized fields would vote for the people who they want to kind yep. of be their their in managers or people the people who can speak Openized. for that group and mm-hmm. um and then they and that you know those groups would make decisions for their specializations and people could contribute in infinitely more number of ways because uh they don't have to work menial labor they can contribute instead in in interesting ways due to use the technology and um, I don't know how much detail to go into in this, in this section, but it's, it's, it's abundance and access. So for example, if you could, um, it's not that, you know, everyone doesn't need one of everything. And, and like you said, the use value is different when private ownership goes away. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I can still use things and get the value of that, that thing without having to own it. If, if there was a library, it, would, it was freely accessible. Or if I went to a place where, I don't know, a really menial example would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to a beach and I want to use a jet ski. So there'd mm. be jet skis there available to, for use for anyone who wanted to do that freely. So you wouldn't need to steal anything because everything would be available for you to use. Mm. Um, there wouldn't be any money because yeah again all your needs are met and anything that you wanted that you couldn't have given to you by um or made for you or like even even the idea of being like highly customizable is, is an option because we've got like 3d printers and future technologies that probably that don't exist <laughs> now like nano printers or something like that you mm. know you could print a customized house out of this um giant house printer or, or whatever you know like there's there's probably uh, some kind of dream like Mm. society we could imagine that's actually not that far away from our current technology. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of the vision I have at least part, partly.
1: Yeah. I I kind of, instead of speaking to like what it could look like in a material way, Mm. I feel like the other way of talking about a future society is like the values of that and Mm. how it defines success. i just like i just think it's so sad that some people define capitalism as successful when there's people that are like homeless and hungry Mm. and the world's dying Mm. like how did we decide that that's an okay system and like yeah it being only successful if everyone's needs are being met and that includes like non-human animals and the environment
0: i feel like that's a really tricky conversation because there's the current value system, the value system of capitalism and its current state and, and the world, and then the value system that would be created. And that is also in part necessary for this future, like whether it's fully luxury, automated um, communism, whatever, um, like what's needed for people to live in that society and contribute in a healthy way is a, is a different value set in, in a lot of ways. And there's people in the world today with those values, but it's just not a, it's not encouraged or um, educated in our systems. So it's a strange conversation to be like, oh, well, you know, imagine the people of the world today in that society that doesn't work because they wouldn't be able to, that this society wouldn't be able to make or fit in that society because it would just, you know, the generations to come would be so different from what we imagine, I think.
1: Like, I don't know, I'm just thinking of a meme I saw, which was like um, that basically capitalism conditions people out of their compassion and that it's actually kind of quite, I don't know if I want to say natural or, or innate, but like children will look at like homeless people on the street and just be like, that's really sad or like why doesn't this person have a place to live Mm. and then like slowly capitalism conditions us to be like well they fucking deserve that (laughs) like they didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they're like yeah like kind of to turn away
3: from that
2: yeah i mean there's very effective incentive structures in capitalism and the incentive structure is dog eat dog Mm. you get yours and you survive um however you can um and there's a quote and i forget who said this but it's kind of like if there was a factory and it was so kind of closed and polluted on the inside and people were coughing and you chose only to examine those people to find human nature you might say it was human nature to cough and splutter and die Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so the human nature we're claiming to observe when we only think about our current circumstances is not a full picture
1: and i think it kind of comes back to what you're saying around um covid19 being a kind of weird practice Mm -hmm. for like trying to work together Um, but also showing us that we're just really not used to doing that. And like, we don't have those values of like making personal sacrifices, even if it's for like the community Mm. good. And that's, that's super sad. I mean, that's not true. Like a lot of people are really taking those measures um, and listening to healthcare advice and stuff, but yeah, a lot of resistance.
0: I think one thing to remember is that it's actually the large minority that are not, Um, doing that like I think that we're maybe a lot of people are in bubbles on Facebook where we might see a lot of people being um, anti-government or anti-mandates or anti-vaccines or whatever but it's actually a very small proportion of the overall population Mm. that's large enough to be annoying
2: (laughs) yeah and um, there's ways of thinking of culture that doesn't just Make it an enigma um, of like why do people believe the things they believe like why are they so reactionary, um, and one way of looking at it might be beginning to ask, or well, where are the the cultures emerging mm. that are so anti doing <laughs> the bare minimum or whatever, um, and there's a much stronger strain of that in the U.S. Um, mm. And so we might look at it through like, you know, why are, why are Trump supporters, for example, the way they are? Hillary calls them the basket of deplorables. It feels like a horribly unfair thing mm-hmm. to say. And it's because Trump supporters aren't just born racist or something. you know, It's not in their blood. Mm. It's because a lot of them were from rural or small towns, um, that were radically underserved by neoliberalism. Mm. They were hung up to dry. Mm. And so there's an anti-establishment sentiment that comes up there, mm. which is I've been failed by the establishment. I don't trust it at all. Yeah. I trust my community, and I trust those who say they'll drain the swamp. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, as annoying as the conspiracy theorists are and the reactionaries are, they're also just a sign of how they've been failed, I Mm. guess. And I might ask, would there be so much resistance towards helping one another if everyone was having their needs met?
1: Nah. No, not at all.
0: I really like what you said. And I feel like there's also a portion of the reactionary slash conspiracy crowd that are just privileged spiritual people Mm -hmm. and that haven't necessarily been impacted in least in... Everyone's obviously been impacted by the circumstances of the government and the climate and the country Mm -hmm. and whatever. But I'm wondering if that is a different strain of... Mm -hmm. um, like incentives to do that or like there's a different mindset there that's come from somewhere else that Mm. isn't necessarily because of low socioeconomic conditions or or whatnot
1: could still be yeah that sense of mistrust or like a sense that something's not rad and there's definitely a
0: sense of mistrust because they're like what like follow the money kind of mentality right like which is good it's like well where have you been (laughs) <laughs> for the last ten years before COVID, you know? Yeah. Like that that was all that's been something that we've been kind of espousing for a long time. But yeah, it feels to me like that there's a lot of people who maybe and and maybe this is something to do with the spiritual spirituality as well in and, and some of the articles you've been writing, like there's this um individualization mm. that happens where it's like, Oh yeah, I control my reality and I can make anything happen if i just believe in myself hard enough and i Mm. wish it and
1: yeah and good ways to like protect themselves against uncertainty Mm. and like the the conditions of capitalism which Mm. i think on some levels and maybe this varies depending on how you're doing financially that that make us feel uncertain Mm. and unsafe and like Mm. we don't matter
2: I have no um, answers myself about, like, the hippie movement, specifically, because it's not (laughs) something I've... Or New Age or spiritual movements, because I haven't really looked at them. But one place to start could be asking why this movement looks so different from the 1960s, Mm. hippie and New Age movements, which were about combating and refusing the war in Vietnam, or about refusing segregation um, were, uh, about looking at the, at the time, general prosperity of capitalism, and r- knowing that there was more, uh, that society could be about mm-hmm. than, uh, because this is also the age of growing consumerism for, yeah. um, only a couple decades into yeah. consumer capitalism. Um, so what's different about this new age movement that means it's kind of more aligned to holding on to an establishment that exists than to ask can there be more and i bet people would say i disagree with that i don't want the establishment yeah but you do because what all when they're when they when they say you know i won't let covid control my life um what their wanting is just more of the same life they've had
1: like mm. back to normal yeah kind
2: of. yeah they don't and and their idea of an enlightened new society is just that i don't know people are individually more spiritual or mm. aligned or something
1: conscious capitalism yeah like green capitalism or like yeah yeah that is yeah I don't know. Do you want to speak to why that's not a thing, Tim? <laughs> I agree.
0: Conscious capitalism.
1: Or like the why it can't be sustainable.
2: Um, well, for one, capitalism needs to infinitely grow because when the, when the productive forces of society are used for profit, profit has to be more than last year. Mm. It can't remain the same. And that can be hard to wrap your head around um, when you're not a shareholder. You're just a worker who's like, yeah, I'd be fine with the same amount of money each year. But a shareholder has no incentive uh, to invest in things unless they make them more money than they've put in. Mm. So uh, if investors can't make more money, they withdraw, they sell prices plummet and the companies are destroyed Mm. if shareholders don't make more money a capitalist economy is in total crisis Um, any few years where profits slow down beyond a certain rate um, millions of people will lose their jobs Um, millions of businesses will go bankrupt Mm. Um, it's not sustainable in Mm. capitalism to do anything other than grow exponentially, yeah. which is why, you know, hyper-nationalist um, capitalist nations like fascist Italy or Nazi Germany, they were all about, yeah, Germany first, Italy first, but they had to continue to expand um, so they needed to be in constant war yeah. so that they could be, yeah, we've got our closed borders, we're not going to let anyone in, um, mm. but we've got to expand our markets overseas mm. and so have to be constantly engaged in warfare and the us is the same right always in perpetual war
1: yeah and i think like what you're kind of speaking to or pointing to is like how entwined capitalism is with like imperialism and with like climate crisis mm. and the slogans like you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet and that kind of thing so. mm maybe just to like come to a close because i think oh did you oh, a...
0: i just really wanted to hear your opinions on when someone will be like oh well, we're actually only in crony capitalism right now that's not real capitalism yeah i
2: mean uh i think it'd be great if you call it crony capitalism you know it's like that's capitalism it's like capitalism is again it's just it's defined by the fact that it's cronies that can own things Mm. and the cronies help each other out and they help consolidate power and like what any proposition that says you can have non-crony capitalism would be one that says okay everyone can own things But they can't monopolize they can't own too much of the things Mm. so okay you're beginning to have socialist thoughts
0: Mm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's great
1: so what i want to just the question to like end on maybe a hopeful note is like what transition steps can you imagine would help to Mm. move us out of capitalism Mm.
0: tax the rich
1: there's a lot of controversy (laughs) over that slogan on aoc's dress as not being a strong enough oh it's not one of many (laughs) because i think i mean this is not to get into discussion all over again but we're in capitalism Mm. if we're in a system where we have to constantly redistribute wealth and wealth just isn't equally distributed so anyway Mm. on to you tim
2: (laughs) (laughs) um Well, I mean, part of why far lefties like myself are like critical of people that kind of just call for more taxes is that you can end up in the same situation that FDR, you know, managed to create, which is a high tax on the rich, Um, but while the system prevails, and that is to say the system where ownership of things gives you and your cronies power Mm. um the establishment will wind back all of those reforms Mm. and it will wind back the taxes you won't find you won't be able to create um a state of capitalism that you know where the taxes are always high on the rich second of all taxes are just only a band-aid right Mm. because they say the idea is this, you can still operate your private industries for your private profit, but you'll give us a percentage of it back to maintain the social infrastructure that keeps people from poverty. Mm. Like, that's kind of the idea. Um, and so, it, it, yeah, it, it, it maintains, it helps capitalism stay afloat, but it doesn't change anything. But it's a good step, you know. Yeah. We, yeah. Should uh, we, we should definitely <laughs> we should we should definitely. That, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like when we're when we're choosing who we can vote for and whatever, we should always be pressuring for higher taxes. Mm. Um, but we also rich. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on the rich on the rich. It doesn't need to be on us. <laughs> um, but uh, it's then important to remember that voting is not our only tool Mm. Um, and this is part of the grip that american politics has over the u.s is that liberals really do think all they can do is vote and so each year when the democrats who are equally as part of the establishment as the republicans say you know put up this like lukewarm candidate who stands for nothing. All they have to do is say, well, we're not the Republicans. Mm. And everyone will be like, fuck, we've got to vote for the Democrats. <laughs> year in, year out, more incrementalism or more of nothing. Mm. Um, and so there has to be... Uh, oh, and and it should be remembered that capitalists won't let you vote them out of power. <laughs> um, so you... At some point there has to be a popular, I want to say uprising, but also people will be like, that's terrible to suggest, but you've got to seize the means of production. You know, (laughs) And it's like communists always sound the same and we've been saying the same shit since the 1800s, but it's because it's still the same. You still have to take the productive forces <laughs> of society if you're going to have any power over that society.
1: So that's your transition step. How does that
0: happen there? Oh, God. A... Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Seize the oh, means. J- Jesus Christ. Eh? Please define. <laughs> how <laughs> are going to do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, a little bit, it's get the pitchforks out. So, like the the civil rights movement in the US managed to pass legislatively what it needed to do after its riots and people forget this all the time they think you know MLK was all about nonviolent protests and then he was assassinated mm. and after MLK was killed riots broke out in almost every city of the US and didn't so nonstop for, for like a week or more. And Lyndon B. Johnson passed the Civil Rights Acts that had been surfaced during MLK's um, civil rights movement. Um, and this is painted over in history because we want to believe that you can just ask politely and the government will give. Mm. Um, but the establishment's really only afraid of your pitchforks. Mm. Mm. So, yeah.
0: I feel like that one of the issues with modern day pitchforks is that the police force has like much better...
1: Militarised. Yeah, they're
0: much more militarised. They have much better gear and like anti-riot equipment. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. And yeah. And, And money gets poured into the police. Um and the military following popular movements Mm. um which is you know we we have this phrase socialism or barbarism uh which is to point to the fact we're kind of teetering on the edge of you know another fascism Mm. in that as capitalism shakes and it creates terrible conditions you either have people socialize together um to create something new or the establishment works to put down all forms of dissent and create a police and military state Mm. to maintain its control um and there's no easy solution to that
0: there's no five-step plan or anything like that the (laughs) the communist five-step plan um
1: I just wanted to to say like I feel like some of the the things that are being tied in here is just like around the militarization of police mm-hmm. and the the myth of like who are the police there to serve and it's not it's not us <laughs> <laughs> if they would stop an uprising that would you know mm. make meet everyone's needs yeah if
0: there was a fascist government that was doing horrible things in the country and the police were like protecting, protecting them. them then it's clear that the police aren't there for the people at all
3: mm. yeah
1: so it's like i feel like i was like yeah what are some transition steps and you're like revolution yeah. <laughs> so
0: really unhelpful i know yeah no um, yeah. i mean what what about like cuz i often think that ubi if implemented well would for example free up individuals to think more about okay. the issues with the world and and maybe that would create more people who are willing to go out and be a writer or whatever's needed or or to invent something or to to, to... i guess in, even in the sense that they the lockdowns have forced people inside and onto the internet and people who maybe wouldn't normally care have suddenly become okay. um you know uh a diehard yeah. um, anti-government or anti-corporate or anti-whatever person. And there, I feel like there is a growing base of people who might be willing to join in that riot. But it does feel very disparate at the moment. Like there's no unifying vision or goal for people to unite behind other than we don't like lockdowns or we don't like masks, <laughs> which isn't a unifying vision at all. And that could be nice, like some kind of unify, like even if Occupy Wall Street came back or something like that, or um, or something equivalent that was maybe more explicit with it's not just yeah there are rich people and there are poor people, but like actually look let's expose all the shit of capitalism and 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 provide a means to uh, like a vision of what is possible, like mm-hmm. the fully automated luxury communism, <laughs> and be like we want this. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah i mean i was listening to a, a podcast with like a union organizer called stevie lang and he was saying like his main job within that organizing is to just get people to raise their standards mm-hmm. like and want more for themselves Great. and i feel like that's possibly a good first step yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. anything to add no
2: um perhaps there could be organizing together, um, to bring in radical policy, mm. um, like to say, um, you know, we want our votes in the workplace, you know, and do it this, the, you know, Richard Wolff economists, you know, socialism way, which is, um, yeah, demand democracy in work and um yeah perhaps that can lead to the next thing Mm -hmm. um you just got to make sure it doesn't get diluted Mm. um because again capitalists don't want change um the largest grassroots popular movement we've now ever seen has been black lives matter Mm. um and that started with a very strong cry abolish the police yeah. and to make and, and liberals being who they are were like no you have to make it more palatable to the establishment mm. change your slogan to defund so it became defund the police
3: mm.
2: and it didn't happen um
1: like and, even defunding, yeah. yeah
2: yeah um so i don't know as a jaded marxist maybe i can just say like stick to your guns for radical policy mm. yeah. and and don't make it you know swallowable yeah by a, an establishment that doesn't want to change itself
1: yeah i mean we're kind of going longer than i planned to but this <laughs> is making me think of something I've, I've said to you before which is like yeah principles of abolition in in different areas and the area we were talking about was like animal rights and i do consider myself an abolitionist like i don't want any animals to suffer unnecessarily um i don't want any animals to be in factory farms like Mm. i don't want them to be killed for human consumption um but right now factory farms exist and i'm like if they're not going to be immediately abolished or the animals aren't going to be free, then it is my tendency to be like, well, how could they be killed as painlessly, as quickly as possible? How could their cages be fucking bigger and like start to ask for those scraps? Mm. Cause I'm like, well, ultimately my goal is for them not to exist. And I'm wondering like how that kind of fits into these, like policy reform and things like, yeah, like UBI, which I am really a proponent for, um, but it doesn't, it's not a system revolution. Mm. It's just like a bit more room in the cage. Um, mm. Yeah, thoughts?
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I part of my recent um, thesis and my university degree was around the difference between reformation and paradigm shifts um and paradigm shift is i don't think it was coined by thomas kuhn but he used it in terms of scientific revolutions and the cycles of of paradigms shifting and versus reform which is just like a slight change within the current paradigm and paradigm and system could kind of be interchanged synonymously somewhat um in terms of what we're talking about like the current paradigm of capitalism as a system that we're all under uh, <clears throat> But anyway the reformation just is like a band-aid like you said and and, it, and it's like with the tax thing it's like it's easily over overturned in, in any moment and you know because we have cycles of government if government did say like oh yeah we'll have this thing then the next government say like yeah get rid of that again and it's not a permanent solution at all. I really like what you said to him about the liberal, like not being too liberal with the kind of packaging or the, the you know, fight for what you actually want. Mm-hmm. And and I completely understand. Also, Ari, the, the thought of like, well, I am fighting for what I want, but also in the meantime, while well, you know nothing seems to be happening, at least on any kind of obvious way, I'm going to fight for other smaller things that are more reformation. And it's like really fucking frustrating and tiring kind of battle of like, well, I want the paradigm shift to happen and I want to support it to happen and I want to kind of like educate and I want to, you know, get people involved and unite people and and create some kind of solidarity. And that is like such a huge fucking task Mm. that maybe kind of interchanging that task with some smaller tasks like just getting a little bit of just UBI, for example. Yeah. feels like an easier and maybe more manageable and achievable thing and you know i like taking my goals off my list to feel good sometimes yeah
2: yeah it just yeah has to come in with a whole bunch of other policies because yeah. like ubi imagine you've got some more income um if there's no rent control the landlords rub their hands together and they go all my tenants are x amount richer mm. i'm going to raise rent x amount <laughs> and yeah. swallow up all of that ubi yeah um and landlords is just a catch-all there for just every single consumer service and all the healthcare, mm. housing um it, you know without rent controls and without um uh, controls on what on prices and so on um then it may just look like inflation yeah mm. um so that's
0: government intervention. Yeah,
2: yeah. So so it's, I guess what I'm saying is, like, as we advocate for UBI, it can't be from kind of what the T.O.P. party in New Zealand was doing, mm-hmm. um, which was, they were just kind of libs going, you know, we need UBI, and then we can dismantle some of the social safety nets, like yeah. welfare that exist yeah. and so on
0: as a replacement for welfare as opposed to an addition
2: yeah yeah
0: Mm. so and that's you know i guess with welfare you have to go through red tape and bureaucracy to apply for it and and ubi even if it was a replacement would maybe be better i don't know the other oh no
2: no i mean yeah perhaps welfare was a bad example ubi as being money that you get no matter what and Mm -hmm. it's not means tested is always better than a means-tested policy because mm-hmm. people fall through the cracks of a means-tested policy mm. and they stop themselves from going into work and earning x amount because if they take the risk on that they'll lose their welfare. Yeah. Um, so yes it's better than welfare I think. Um, but the social safety net is also things like funding for mental health mm. and um, funding for community projects and so on um i don't know exactly what top was about but yeah sometimes you get proponents of ubi like bill gates and jeff bezos who are like put in ubi and then strip out the other government interventions Mm. um so yeah get more socialized government more make democracy stronger democratize the workplace um, and uh, advocate radical reforms, perhaps. And
1: like what with the radical reforms? UBI. Like I UBI. would consider UBI radical.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe that's... it's not radical, but yeah.
1: And I, I think stop... just the um, just the framing of it as like a stepping stone yeah. rather than something that's propping up capitalism and stopping yeah. people from.
0: Because ideally, it wouldn't just be UBI; it would be all basic needs are being met and you wouldn't have to pay for your basic needs to be met. you wouldn't have you wouldn't have homelessness or extreme poverty of any kind that would be nice
2: yeah which would mean and this is a radical reform that would mean socializing the housing market say Mm. and saying you can't as a landlord collect houses Mm. beyond five properties or something like that you can't Because there are landlords in New Zealand who own more than 300 properties. You can go look up the landlord index and see how many properties people own. They just create empires. Mm. Um, So, yeah, maybe you could nationalize that and say you can't monopolize people's
0: shelter. That's what Um, Monopoly
1: was trying to teach us. (laughs) Yeah,
0: go and play Monopoly, landlords. You need it.
1: (laughs) All right, shall we maybe stop?
0: there. Yeah, that's a a good place to stop. Does
1: anyone have a hopeful note? Oh, was that hopeful? The ending?
0: (laughs) We always have Monopoly to teach us. Yeah.
2: Um, Okay, well maybe I'll leave you with a hopeful quote and you can Google who this is from because I won't out myself like this. But (laughs) the quote is, you know, when you're worrying about, oh shit, things need to change very quickly and they're not really at the moment, You can remember that sometimes decades pass and nothing happens. And then years happen and decades are contained within them. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. I love it. Yes. Nanotechnology, here we come.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your time and expertise. Yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah, thank you for the conversation.